Now I'm going to read. Uh, we we can read the first uh, part of the chapter again. I want to do that just to reiterate what we're talking about. This is John's prologue for his whole gospel. He starts the gospel out by glorifying Christ in the prologue, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Should I dismiss the children? No. Hey, I forgot. I'm sorry. Are they good? They're good. Yeah, they're good. You can stay in here. Don't, don't go anywhere. I was just asking. It, I just blew my mind or skipped my mind that I had not done that if I needed to do it. Sorry, everybody. That's how my brain works. <laughs> the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone who has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's where we're going to stop. Amen. Last week we talked about what? We talked about John's ministry, right? John's witness about Jesus, right? We, we talked about how John was not the light and he bore witness about the true light, which is Christ. We also see that Christ came into the world and even though he made the world, yet the world didn't receive him, right? They didn't know him. He came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. Now that's twofold. He came to the Jewish people, right? And they did not receive him. And this gives a doorway for the Gentiles, correct? Now, second of all, I'll say he came into the whole world and humanity as a whole did not know him and did not receive him. So if we were to leave off right there, it would sound really terrible. And John is giving you a contrast here. He's saying he came into the world. The world didn't receive him. His own people didn't receive him. They didn't know him, right? But then he says, but to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, gave you the right to become the children of God, who are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So this morning I titled this message, Born of God, because we're encountering, uh, see, I, when I started writing this, I was going to write all the way through verse 18, but when I realized what this verse uh, verse 12 and 13 implied there's a deep spiritual truth that we have to recognize here there's a, a great theological implication if you will that this is talking about salvation the new birth experience amen and you've heard me say this from the pulpit for the last year and a half that modern church has taken God out of the equation of salvation and they've, they've kind of just made it like we can make a mental ascent to get to God all by ourselves but that's not true it takes God for anybody to ever be born again anyone ever is never born again of their own will their own flesh their own desire. It is God who changes the hearts of men. If he did not, not one of us would ever follow him. Vody Bauckham said this morning in a, a sermon that I was listening to, you know, pastors need pastors, they listen to, right? So I was listening to Vody Bauckham this morning. He said, we get this idea that 
most people are good and that if, if they just weren't in their environment, then they would follow God. But that's simply not true because people of all different backgrounds, of all different uh, uh, atmospheres, all different surroundings, all their, their, their general area of living, whether in good uh, in, in impoverished neighborhoods or, or rich neighborhoods or, or, or violent covered neighborhoods or very peaceful neighborhoods, what you find is a common thread is that every person on the planet left to their own device is sinful. That's what you find. It doesn't matter the surroundings. It doesn't matter the, the atmosphere. People could live in a mansion with everything they ever wanted, get whatever they wanted any time they wanted, and sin is still sitting at the door ready to rule them. Always. He said, we get this idea that these people, if they weren't in this environment, that they would follow Christ. But that's not true. There's nobody out there that is completely free in the sense of they have nothing that's influencing them. Amen? Every one of us are influenced by sin. Even now, we're born again. We still have to fight a warfare within our own self. Amen? We're still waging. Paul said, I see two Natures at work. He said, on the one hand, I, I don't do the thing that I want or know is right. And, and the thing I know is wrong, I still am doing that. Why? Because I'm born shaping in iniquity, the Bible says. Amen? So when I talk about this this morning, I want you to understand where I'm coming from when we're talking about salvation. The, the doctrine of salvation and how we understand to spread the gospel, we can't spread the gospel thinking everybody's just kind of okay. No, we have to realize outside of Christ, they're just, they may, they may look better off than you did. They may not be doing the things that you were doing when you were lost. But the truth is, is they're still lost. The truth is, they still need the gospel. The truth is, they still need Christ. Amen. This is a fundamental truth that we need to encounter. Amen? So we come to these two verses, and in this verse we reach the apex of what John wrote the whole gospel for. He said, and he came, and the, to those who did receive him, gave he the power to become the children of God, right? Not of blood or the will of the flesh. Now, people go, what's he talking about, blood or the will of flesh? We'll get there. But if you remember in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he said, I write these things unto you that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you would have life in his name, right? Now, I want you to catch this in verse 12. He says this. Uh, well, if my Bible would stop turning pages on me, this fan, I love it. It feels good, though. Verse 12, he says this, but to all who did receive him, notice the word receive, who believed in his what? In his name. Amen. Now I want you to understand when we don't put a stock in names like they did in Bible times, right? Bible times, the name meant something. What does the name Jesus mean? God is Salvation. That's what his name means. What did the angel say when he talked to Joseph? You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Excuse me. From their sin. Right? This is the purpose of the book, and we're getting the purpose of the book right at the beginning. Believe, receive in his name. Right? Now watch this. So you will believe. And you will have life in his name. That's John 20, verse 30 and 31. Here in verse 12, we see this. All who receive, who believe in his name. Amen? 
gave he the right to become the children of God. Now, here we come to another uh, doctrine, I want to say. Because a lot of people say this, and I want you to tell me if you've ever heard it or you've ever said it. We're all children of God. That's what we say. Well, even when we're talking to lost people who hate God, who don't want anything to do with God. Even when lost people are talking to lost people. They say that, right? Amen. They say, we're children of God. But look, we, all are, we are all made in the image of God. No matter how marred that image might be, we are made in the image of God. But that in itself does not make you a child of God. Only by receiving and believing will you be given the right to become the son or a child of God. Only then. This is a, a, a statement that's being made fundamentally because John is talking to who? Jewish people in Jerusalem, right? Who think they had a right because their father was Abraham, come on, we're going to get to John 8 here in a minute so we can see this. Jesus said, if you were children of Abraham, you would believe me. But because you are of your father, the devil, you don't believe me. So we see here that it's not by the will of man or blood. Now the word blood here where he says it's not by blood, he's telling the Jewish people, it's not by the, your lineage to Abraham. That's not how you're getting saved. You see that? You see that? Now watch this. I want to read a little note. I, I, uh, I did not bring a whole lot of uh, biblical, you know, Bible study notes from, the, from my study Bibles, but I did want to read one here to you this morning because it's very important, and I think it speaks exactly to what I'm talking about. Uh, verses uh, in the ESV study Bible on verse 12 and 13 it says received implies not merely intellectual agreement with some facts about Jesus but also welcoming and submitting to him in a personal relationship I like this I like this it says not just merely understanding or knowing facts about Jesus not just knowing the facts but welcoming Jesus and submitting to Jesus. Amen? Now watch this. Uh, the, the word believed in in the Greek implies personal trust. He refers to all that is true about him. Therefore, the totality of his person, when he says the name, He's talking about you're believing in everything that Jesus did, who Jesus is, and what Jesus did for you. Amen? Born not of blood nor of uh, the flesh, but of God makes a clear, it makes it clear that neither physical birth nor ethnic descent nor human effort can ever make you a child of God but only God's supernatural work. And then they reference John 8. So let's go to John 8, and we want to read John chapter 8, okay? John 8, and I believe the verse that they quote it starts at verse 41. So we're going to go to John 8 and 41, and we're going to read starting from there. It says this, You... Are doing the works of your father you are doing the works your father did they said to him we were not born of sexual immorality now why are they saying that to Jesus you're doing the works of your father we were not born of sexual immorality what are they saying they're taking a jab at Jesus right here because they know Jesus's history that Mary was pregnant before Joseph and her were totally married, so they believed Jesus was born of illegitimate birth. And they're making a jab at him right here. We weren't born of immoral birth. Now watch what they say. 
We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would have loved me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear from, a reason why you don't hear them is because you are not of God. And the Jews answered him, we are not, we are right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. And Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I seek not my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you keep my words, he, will he that keepeth my words will never see death. And if you keep reading this, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he told them that his father was God and that their father was the devil. And that you're not going to get to heaven just because you think you're God's children or you're God's chosen people. It's only by faith in the Messiah. Amen? If you want a, a little more background, uh, Romans talks about this very clearly, and we'll get to that in a moment. Because Romans talks about how no one's born of the will of God, but of God's own election and decision. Romans 8, Romans 9. John 6, John 10, all of them testify to this. God has got to be part of the equation of salvation. It's not going to be you following a bunch of rules that gets you into heaven because none of us deserve heaven. Amen? <laughs> yeah, even if you follow all the rules. Amen? So, so here... We must breach one of the most, or broach one of the most important subjects in Christendom. And I'm going to use a big word for you, and it's called soteriology, or soteriology, however you want to say it. Soteriology. S-O-T-E-R-I-O-L-O-G-Y. And you want to know what soteriology means? Simply this. The doctrine of salvation. That's what soteriology means. The doctrine of salvation. What do we mean by being saved? Amen? This is surely the intent of John's writing, given John's purpose that he says in John chapter 20, where he says, I write these things so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ. Amen? He says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? And that in believing in him, you'll have life in his name. So John's purpose in writing this in this chapter is so that we can get it from the very beginning that we have to trust Christ for salvation. Amen? And it's also the reason Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? Now, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say Jesus came down here to wait for all the lost people to come to him. And it doesn't say that Jesus is expecting all the lost people to come and find him. Notice that God, even in describing his purpose, Jesus is saying, I'm coming to find those who are mine. John 6 Talking to the Pharisees, or John 8, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he said, You can't hear my words because you are not of my sheep. That's a tough saying. Those who receive, who believe, the right is given to them to become the children of God. 
First, we see not all people are children of God, while all people are not made in while all people are made in God's image and carry the image of God, as marred as it is, or as marred as it may be, this does not make them children of God. Only those who have received Christ, who believe in his name. Not everyone's a child of God, only those who receive Christ, who believe in his name. Now, once we understand this, the question comes up then, how does this happen? Because how you think salvation works is very important in how you see God. Amen? I want to tell you what I don't believe salvation is. I don't believe salvation is this mysterious way that God has made that may or may not save people. Because that's the idea that we have going around modern Christianity nowadays is that God just made a path. And some people might get on it, and some people might not. God never made the path and goes, hmm, I wonder who's going to get on the path. We wonder who's going to get on the path. But God never once went, I'm making a path and I don't know who's getting on it. Because that's the idea that people have about salvation nowadays. They think God is some innocent bystander who's just held to the will of creatures and he's not actively involved in the work of salvation. They think that God is just as mystified they think God is just as mystified as we are about who's going to be on the path and who ain't. So can we settle one thing in our mind right now? We all know that God knows who's going to be on the path. Amen? Is God all-knowing? If that's what we believe about God, remember we talked about the attributes of God. We know that God is all-knowing, all-seeing, right? Omniscient, omnipresent. There's nothing that ever happens in human existence that God goes, oh, I didn't see that coming. Never has that happened. If it ever did happen, he ain't God. God knows those who are his. Period. Jesus says this unequivocally to the Pharisees. Amen? Now, we can get really hurt by this and it's really shocking when people say this but Jesus said it and that's why they were so shocked because they were sure that their ritualistic uh, uh, way that they were living sacrificing and doing the law was going to save them but your works will never save you nothing like that will save you period if if you could be justified by the deeds of the law, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died for nothing. Because there's no purpose if you could just earn your way to heaven already. Number one, we already read John 8. Let's flip over to John 10. I want to read one verse over there, okay? John chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, who's these other people, this other flock? Obviously, the Gentiles. Obviously, it's us who were not a people. Remember that prophecy in the Old Testament? I will take them who were no people and make them my people. Amen? What's that mean? The Gentiles who were not part of Israel were going to be brought in. Amen? This is a prophecy over and over in the Old Testament. God promised to bring and win those from the Gentiles whom he wants. People who get angry about God's election, I want to remind them about God chose Noah out of everybody on earth. 
That's a hard statement, isn't it? He chose Noah and his two sons and their wives, and nobody else lived. God chose that. God chose Israel out of all of the nations of the earth. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed Egypt. God destroyed Assyria. Come on, let's just talk about it. Let's be real about what God does, okay? And we, we want to act like there's some new God in the New Testament. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. Amen? Amen? So God didn't step into the New, new Testament and start doing something totally new. You realize that only, you can look through all of the stories of the Old Testament. How was Abraham saved from Egypt by grace? How was Moses and the children of Israel saved from Egypt by God's mighty outstretched hand? Remember when he sent Moses? He said, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him, we're going to go out in the wilderness and worship for three days, but he will not let you go. And he said, how can I go? And he said, don't worry. I know that he will not let you go except a mighty hand moves him. And guess what? A mighty hand moved Pharaoh. God did it. God chose to do it. We see here, you can go to verse, you can go to, you can go to John 3. Most famous chapter of the Bible, John 3, 16, right? Let's look at John 3 and 3. He says this. <clears throat> Jesus answered him, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his, a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we see a born-again experience here that we have to have. No one can get to God without this born-again experience. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God. You notice the distinction. Verse 3 says you can't see the kingdom. Verse 6 says you can't enter the kingdom. And then verse 8 says you have to be born of the Spirit. And then he's we got the most famous verses of all, right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Notice that. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Watch this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, the only, believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment that has come into the world, that light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light. Why do people love darkness rather than light? We can answer this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. But we being dead in our trespasses and sin. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're dead. You were dead. You were dead. How many of you were dead? You didn't know God. You didn't want God. You weren't following God. Amen? That's where we were. Huh. I want to note, going back to verse 12, who were born not of, or verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Now, this word man that they use right there in the King James and the ESV, the, the Greek word that they use for man there is like husband. Because a husband gives his wife a seed. Right? That's how it happens. I mean, I know there's little kids in here. I'm not going to get a more elaborate than that, okay? But there's a seed given by the man. Right? Who's the husband in your 
relationship to Christ. Not you. Not you. So anybody that's ever born again is born by God's initiative. God takes the initiative every time. The word, not born of the will of men or the will of the flesh. And then he says, but of God. Now he's making a contrast for the first three things. Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but what? And you can imply, but by the will of God. Amen? That's what's inferred in that sentence. But by the will of God. John 3, 3 says you're born again uh, by his will, uh, born of the Spirit, verse 6 through 8. Here we see what D.A. Carson says, the new birth is finally nothing other than an act of God. More specifically, Leon Morris states this, he said, over against this, John sets the way men are born into the heavenly family. The new birth is always a sheer miracle. All human initiative is ruled out. Men are born of God. They can be born no other way. Period. How are you going to be born into God's family by God's spirit without God taking the initiative? It doesn't happen. Now, I'm just going to ask a silly question, but this, in this day and age, this is not a silly question. Who chose first, you or God? If I, I want to ask somebody who thinks that they chose God first where they think that happened or how they think that happened. Amen? Because the problem is that's what we are teaching in not so many words in American Christianity is that, oh, you can just choose God. In other words, there's a way made, and God has no idea who's going to choose him and who's not. Isn't that way it's presented? Isn't that the way the gospel's presented nowadays? That people just, God's just as baffled as you are when somebody doesn't choose him. No, God knows the hearts of all men. Are you crazy? The doctrine of God says that God knows the heart of every man. John tells us that Jesus knew the heart of every man. How many times did he say it in the, in the Gospel of John? And knowing what they thought, or knowing their heart, or knowing what they were thinking. Remember those words? All about Jesus and the disciples, the Pharisees, right? Jesus even did it with his disciples. He knew they were grumbling among themselves. He said this, right? Happens all the time in this Gospel. Why? Because John's trying to get us to see that Jesus is God. And if we want to believe in Jesus, it's going to take an act of God's sovereign grace to change me. Because I can't reach Christ on my own. I cannot reach Christ on my own. Here we face the truth of salvation. It is God who saves he always takes the initiative. No one ever chooses God before God chooses them. It does not happen. No one ever chooses God before God chooses them. I want to go to John 6. We're going to wrap this up very quickly. John chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 37. Jesus says this. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, chances are you've only heard the last half of that verse ever quoted to you in church. All those who come to me, I will never cast out. Remember? That's, that's, that's the only part of the verse I ever heard growing up. Why? Because the first part of this verse makes people very uncomfortable. The first part of this verse makes people very uncomfortable because they think they're taking the initiative in salvation when in truth, no one ever takes the initiative. God always does. Amen? So now understanding that, I can read this with confidence. 
when it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven to not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And I want you to underline verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father. You might want to underline verse 40. <clears throat> this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Now I'm going to stop right there. Because the, the understanding that God chooses sometimes causes people to think that we don't have a free will. But this is not what's being told here. Do you notice that it says, whoever looks at the Son. Right? My challenge to you is knowing that God is the initiator of salvation. We must understand that anyone who is going to look to the Son truthfully and honestly is only doing so because of the initiative of God. And God will save them. Amen? Now watch this. He says, everyone who looks on the Son believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, uh, the first time Jesus says this, it kind of sounds like he's speaking ambi ambi uh, ambiguously. Excuse me. Like it's not talking about people. He said, and I will raise it up at the last day. Well, Jesus clarifies the statement here saying, I will raise them or him at the last day. Amen. So he's talking about people, those who believe in him, right? And they said... Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's another mic drop moment, because Jesus is telling you God takes the initiative. I want you to un get that in your mind, that God takes the initiative. God took the initiative years and years ago the gospel isn't something that god you know he gave them the law and then all of a sudden he said oops that didn't work do you think god knew that people were not going to be able to live up to the law absolutely god's omniscient right he's all-knowing god gave the law understanding man would fail amen so here Jesus is not some mysterious guy that's just coming down here to hopefully win some people, but knowing who are his. Amen? How do we know this? Well, just like we read in John uh, 8, where he says, you're of your father, the devil. Let's go to John 10. Because John 10 gives a very clear speech to the Pharisees, okay? Starting at verse 22, he says, At that time, the Feast of Dedications took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, Jesus has done so many things to prove that he was the Christ to this point that it's absolutely unfathomable that they should not have believed that he was the Christ already. And Jesus says to them, he says, <clears throat> Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe me. The works I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. That a pretty clear statement? You, do, you don't believe because you're not part of the family. You're not part of the sheepfold. Right? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. For my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then they picked up stones to stone him again. 
Why? Because he first of all is telling them that the father has picked some people. And then he says that he, the father, no one can snatch them out of his hand. And he and the father are one. This is flying in the face of tradition because tradition says that if I follow the law, then I can go to heaven. And Jesus is telling them, you can follow all the laws you want and split hell wide open because you're not of my sheepfold. You go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start wrapping this up very quickly here. <laughs> Get an amen when I'm, leave, when, I'm, when I'm closing. That's funny. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 4. <clears throat> but God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Amen? Huh. What does it say after that? And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. I can't do anything to earn it. I don't deserve it. And I can't make a mental ascent to just grab it. I have to have. God change me. <clears throat> Let's go on some more proofs here. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8. Oh, I got to flip back the other way, Kevin. That's where Romans is. Romans 8. We're going to start at verse 28 and go through verse 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for their good. For those who are called according to his good purpose. Isn't that what it says? Right? Romans 8, 28. Am I reading the right verse? And then he says this. For those he foreknew, he also, what? Predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. This should be the burning desire of every Christian who says, I know God. You ought to be able to say, well, if I know God, it's because God has showed himself to me. And if God has saved me, then he's, gonna, he's called me, he's going to justify me, and he's going to glorify me. And if I'm in his hand, I can't be snatched out. Come on, let's be real. Let's be real. I'm not reading my words, I'm reading scripture. Romans 9, starting at verse 6. Romans 9, starting at verse 6, we see this. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are offspring, but those, but through Isaac shall your offspring be blessed. Now, what's Isaac's, the position that he's taken there? Abraham had sons through other women. So genetically, even, not all were heirs to the promise. Not all of Abraham's children were heirs to the promise, only those who come through Isaac. Now, more specifically to Christians and what Paul was pointing at, Isaac is pointing to Christ, that all men would be blessed through Christ. Amen? And he goes on. Let's keep reading. He says, he says uh, verse 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, uh, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived by one man, our father Isaac, though there were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might come 
true or continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau have I hated. Before Jacob and Esau were even born, God had already pre-picked Jacob. I had to write a paper. They said, was Esau uh, pushed to the side or, or, or uh, what, how did he put it? Was Jake, Esau hindered in any way? I have to say yes. Because God's choice was Jacob before they ever lived their life, before anybody ever did anything wrong, God chose Jacob, said so. The older will serve the younger, right? And we go, well, that's just not fair. Who are you to tell God it's not fair? God wanted Jacob. God had a plan, and, and, and not the will of men or anybody else was going to get in the way. That's why, even though Isaac was going to bless Esau, Rebekah made sure Jacob got the blessing. Now, people go, well, she stole it from him. No. I'm sure Isaac was told about that prophecy. Okay. It isn't like Isaac didn't know that God said the older will serve the younger. Or the, yeah, you know what I mean. God knew. Isaac knew. But the traditions of man is what? The eldest son gets to be the heir. And God's not bound by human tradition. Amen? Let's keep going. Flip, back, flip, flip through your Bible up to Galatians 1. Because there's an important verse that I want you to see about Paul. Because here we even see in Paul the elected work of God. Okay, watch this. Verse 15 of Galatians. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Stop. God knew Paul, had a plan for Paul, even before he was born, even when his mother called him Saul. God had a preordained plan. And Paul said, in his own time, God revealed his son to me. Now, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, followed all the law, taught the law, and was very zealous. If you read the, the this portion of scripture before this, he said, I was zealous more than any of my countrymen, but I didn't know Christ. And that's the point. Man made assent. The will of man, the, the purpose of man, the, 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 the will of the flesh will never reach Christ. It cannot. The Bible says that the, 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 the things of the spirit, the things of God are foolishness to the flesh. The, will, the people who are dead in their trespasses and sin cannot understand the things of God because they're foolishness to them. And it's only until God opens your eyes that you stop seeing it as foolish. God takes the initiative. Amen? Finally, I wrote this down. What should we gather from what we've talked about, about salvation and God taking the initiative, you know, things like election and predestination, they kind of set people off and they get people rubbed the wrong way and they don't like it. But you can't tell me it's not in this book where he says, if you keep reading in Romans 8, he says, God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Amen. God said that, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's not by the will of man, but by the work of God every time. No one ever chooses God first. Amen? So when you're preaching the gospel, you must understand. And, and this is the point that I agree with Spurgeon on. Spurgeon said when you preach the gospel, you can't preach it like you're just preaching to kind of dead people. You can't just preach it like these people are basically okay. And that's what American church is doing. We're preaching to people acting like 
they're okay. But we must preach as dead men to dying men that they need Christ and that the gospel is that if you would but trust in Christ, turn to Christ, you will be saved. But you will not be saved by your works. You will not be saved by biblical, just, just, just having Bible knowledge, head knowledge will not save you. Salvation is just like Jonah said in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to God. Amen? So this morning as I'm encouraging you with this message, and I know some of you are like, oh, that's some crazy stuff. I want you to be, I want you to be knowledgeable about this because one, if we have the right idea about where people are, we can preach to what's really holding people back. What's really holding people back is sin. They're bound in sin. They're dead in trespasses and sin. And they need Christ. They don't need this mealy mouth Jesus that just, does Jesus love you? Yes. But Jesus does not condone what you're doing. He does not condone your sin. He hates your sin. And you must come to Christ. Repent and believe the good news. That has got to be the message. If it is not the message, we are not truly preaching Christ. And we can't preach a Christ that half-heartedly, hopefully, saves people. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. There's a call comes ringing. All the restless waves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Amen. He doesn't kind of save. He saves to the uttermost. I know that he is able to keep, to save to the uttermost those who believe in him. Amen? That's the Jesus we've got to preach. Amen? Let's stand and we're going to pray over the food we're about to receive. But I also want to pray for those who might, have watched, might watch this later, those who might listen to it later. I pray for you right here in this room. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the salvation that comes only through Jesus, only by Jesus, and only for Jesus' glory. Lord, as we lift up the Son of God in this place, Lord, we ask that you would bring to salvation those who do not know you. Lord, we pray that by your sovereign work and your sovereign grace that you would reach into the hearts of men and women who have stood in this room, who have listened on the, on the podcast, who are going to listen on Facebook and watch the video, God. I pray that you would save all those who will believe. Let those who hear the call today come to faith in Christ. Let them turn their life over to Christ. Let them repent and believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves. And only Jesus saves. Lord, we ask that you would bless the food that we're about to partake of. And we pray, God, that you would give us great fellowship, living and loving and preaching your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.